0: Welcome to Happily Ever After is just the beginning. Keeping your relationship not just together, but happy, and we mean truly happy, is part art and part science. You've come to the right place. Here's your host, Leslie Dorries. There is a lot of research that supports the idea that married people have more and better sex than those who are single. Now, this may have a lot to do with proximity, But it is of no comfort to those couples who are struggling in a sexless marriage or have big differences in their libidos. And the truth is that having difficulty in this area is one of the two biggest challenges that marriages face, the other being finances. But it doesn't have to be that way. And because it is such a personal topic, it can be tough to talk about. So the problem often festers, damaging your relationship along the way. So if your sex life isn't all you or your partner want it to be, this show is for you. And so to help me tackle this topic, I'm joined by Sarah Disak. She is the owner of Early to Bed, a sex, shop, a sex shop in Chicago. That's easy for me to say. Whoa. Okay, Sarah, thank you for coming on the show and talking about what is a really painful and, and, and not an uncommon problem.
1: Well, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. And you are absolutely right. This is a very common uh, occurrence, and I think a lot of people who are in relationships long-term or even, you know, on the shorter term mm-hmm. can um, be struggling
0: with something like this. Well, and it can often come as a surprise because usually in the early days of our relationship, we're like all over each other, and so when when things come to a grinding halt, it's, it's really confusing. And upsetting, and so you've actually been talking with couples about their su- sex lives for over 20 years. Bless you. And so, what are some of the things you've learned about their struggles? Well, I think, like you said, it is so common
1: for people to start off having a you know awesome, frequent sexual relationship with someone else, and then as they get comfortable as life starts to interfere as other priorities take over. Mm-hmm. So many couples find themselves at odds sexually. I mean, one of the most frequent questions we get at early to Tibet is you know, how do we spice up our sex life? It's, it's slowing down or how do I mm-hmm. deal with the fact that my partner wants it more than I, um, and so, you know, we talk to people and kind of help them wherever they are to find solutions for that. But it is something that, I think a lot of people think is, oh no, we're the only people going through this, it's the death of our relationship, and the truth is, is that it's so normal that it's like okay.
0: I not so, you know,
1: well yeah, because everyone at some point other, it's
0: generally not dinner time conversation at a dinner party, right? I mean, we're not sitting there with our friends talking about our sex lives. Yeah. oh. If, if or, or, do they? <laughs> you know, maybe we should. I mean, because it's, you know, it, it, it's really funny because you know I talk about this a lot in relation to relationships. It's like, you know, when I was having difficulty potty training my son, I was talking to everybody and you know that I could think of who could help me. But when we're having challenges in the bedroom, we generally don't talk about that. And so I think that may be just one of the of the challenges. I agree, and I think we
1: also—it's sex is hard to talk about, whether it's with your intimate partner, which mm-hmm. you should be talking about sex, or with your friends even. And part of it is you don't know what's appropriate to talk about with your friends sometimes. And part of it is a lot of us—it's really vulnerable. You don't want to maybe admit that there's something going on in your relationship that you're seeing as a problem because uh-huh. that's a very like vulnerable thing to tell other people and. We fear judgment. We fear, you know, awkwardness, Mm -hmm. all those things. Plus, a lot of us just aren't comfortable getting into the nitty-gritty with our
0: friends. (laughs) Well, I mean, it's so funny you say that because I remember um, my son was born in February, and I was talking to my best friend sometime in the summer, right? So we're talking several months later. And I remember saying, I don't remember how we got on the conversation, but I remember saying this, like, Am I ever going to want us have sex again because my you know because I didn't understand nature's way of trying to keep us from getting pregnant it means oh I'm not interested in sex not to mention the fact that I had an infant and breastfeeding and all this other stuff that we just don't even know about and my friend assured me cuz she had by that time I think she had two children and she goes, yeah, it'll come back, but was just like, you know, and then of course you get the doctor saying, oh, after six weeks, go have at it. And I'm going, that's the last thing I wanted six weeks postpartum, but nobody talks about this stuff.
1: It's very true. And I think also that six weeks puts a lot of pressure sometimes on particularly the women in the relationship who might not be anywhere near ready to re-engage in sexual activity. Mm-hmm. And then there's this weirdly universal idea that that's time to <laughs> go back at it. And I think that doctors should be taking, you know, more nuanced approach to that. Like it's safe, but, you know, like yeah. you may not yeah. want to, or you're part of her first or whatever. So Right. You, it's sort not of like, for sure.
0: yeah, you may have healed from the physical experience of giving birth to a child. That doesn't mean that all the rest of everything is, is back into it. And, and again, you know, that's not even something that you know we even get into a conversation with with our doctors because I mean it is it's you know when I talk to my clients I say don't ever talk about sex in the bedroom while you're having sex unless it's oh that feels good do more of it or ouch that hurts stop it (laughs) but but you know but but we get into these these you know trying to have these conversations and so, what gets you? Know, what is it about sex that is so hard to talk about with the person we're having sex with?
1: Oh, I mean, ha, how much time do we have? Can <laughs> I mean, we start? you know, we, there's all this cultural influence that sex is not something you talk about. I mean, it just happens naturally. Look at R-rated movies, right? Like you can even, even ignore pornogra- pornography. Look at R-rated movies. Like people just fall into bed together without discussing anything. So we have this idea that that's the most natural or the most normal way to have sex is this like magical two people are feeling the same thing at the same time and explosions happen Mm-hmm. Um, there's, you know, there's, be- because we are not taught about it. I mean, you think about sex education in our country and how little people know about their bodies and how little people know about pleasure. And if you don't have the words for things, if you don't understand how things, your body works or what mm-hmm. is a normal expectation, you know, you could feel like bringing up something that's going on with you could lead to shame and judgment, even with your partner, right? Admitting you don't like something or admitting you want something, like what mm-hmm. is that person gonna think of you? It's the most vulnerable, I mean, there's lots of ways we can be vulnerable, but it's one of the most vulnerable ways that we can be. And I think we're not taught that that's normal and good and that's what we should be doing. And I think that that really, I think that really harms a lot of people and I think it sets people's sexual relationships up for more hurdles, because we're mm-hmm. just not like if we just say
0: talking about things right away,
1: like it'd probably be a lot easier for a lot of people. Um, <laughs> but you never know.
0: Yeah, I mean, and you know, I mean, and so it's. So it's interesting because I'm sure, you know, because a lot of people will come to your shop because like you said, they're trying to spice things up or whatever. And sometimes, I mean, and that's, and that's not, you know, that's not a bad thing, but sometimes that's not even really the place to start. It's almost like, okay, now you're dealing with the symptom versus, you know, what, what's going on because there, you know, there is so much uh, uh, silence around this and, you know, and just... I mean I'm sure you've seen them the the either the videos or the blog posts that talk about you know that, that men don't know a lot of men don't know how women's bodies work, and a lot of women don't even know how their own bodies work, so you've got this like, okay, we're trying to figure out something that we don't even really know what it is
1: oh for sure, and i you know and I think that we've also you know I've had experiences with a customer who Comes in and wants to buy something to help you in, in, in make their sex life better, and we talk about. We start talking, and we realize like this person hasn't even talked to their partner about what their partner wants. This, or they like I remember some person saying like I've tried this and this one, this and this one. Like pretty much rattled off every sex toy and accessory we had. Mm-hmm. And he's like, and things still aren't good with me. And I'm like, oh my god, you—it's not a sex—you don't have a sex toy problem. You have a, a, a intimacy problem with your partner. You need to get out of here and go see a counselor. Like, I will be very honest with people when I feel like a sex toy can solve a lot of problems, and I think they can solve a lot of problems and be fun. But there's a lot of times when this is not—this is not what you need to be doing. You need to be talking to your partner. But it's so much easier. Mm-hmm. to go and buy a sex toy than it is to sit down and say, we need to figure this out because everyone is, uh, it's awkward, you know? I'm yeah. not going to lie, it's awkward. I do this for a living. I'm so comfortable talking about sex. I still when I said, you know, when I need to talk to my partner about something, it's still awkward for me. And I'm like preaching this all <laughs> over the place. So it's right. normal for it to feel awkward.
0: Well, so you you use that word, intimate and intimacy, right? And so, I mean, there's a lot of people who equate intimate with the physical sex, sex act. And you and I both know they're not the same thing. But you have said that couples can still be intimate even if they aren't having sex. So what do you mean by that? How do they do that? And, and, why, would, and why is it important? There, there's like 12 questions for you right there. <laughs> sure, Great. Okay. no problem. I'm ready to go. So first, when I say the word sex, I like to
1: think of it as encompassing a lot more than penis and vagina, which is what culturally we often mean when we say sex. Like, correct? You know, and all that. So, I think that's important too. And I think a lot of couples, particularly your cisgendered heterosexual couples, mm-hmm. they like they they view the, that intercourse as what sex is, and that anything outside of that is foreplay or whatever. Um, and I think it's, impo- I think one of the first steps for a lot of people who are sort of struggling with either frequency or mismatched desire, stuff like that, is to reevaluate what sex is, like that you can have sexual touch that doesn't go, quote, unquote, you know, all the way. And for mm-hmm. some people, if, if time or body issues are a constraint, sometimes thinking beyond intercourse can really help you find ways to explore sexual expression with your partner that fits into whatever's going on with your life or your body. Mm-hmm. Um, additionally, uh, I think that it's important, too, to, to realize that sex can be a very, of course, intimate, wonderful expression of, of, of love or intimacy or whatever, passion, but that there are so many other ways that you can be intimate with someone, whether it is, you know, naked cuddling, whether it's a verbal intimacy, whether it's um, doing things together, where you're fo- where you're sort of I don't say forced to, but where you're focusing on that other person looking them in the eyes, communicating with them on a level that's not just like you know, what are we having for dinner? Where are the kids? Mm-hmm. Blah 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 blah. Which right. is I, I, in, I know in my relationship most of our communication is functional It's at this point, you know, like it's how things are working. And I think, um, even things like date nights where text is a great part of that, but having dinner with someone alone, when you never get to have that alone time, Uh um, there's also ways, I think, if, if sex is kind of, if you're, if things are a little rocky or if one of you is feeling a little less into sex than the other, which again happens all the time, I think, reassuring your partner that you're you're just not feeling it but you are still attracted to your partner because once somebody starts to get rejected Mm -hmm. whether you're being nice about it or not you know over and over again it can really kind of take put a hit on somebody's self-esteem and they may stop um suggesting sex or, or or trying to get you engaged in sexual activity and then then things sort of kind of go downhill but you know, reassuring someone like, Oh my God, I think you're so sexy. My body is just not in the right place right now. My brain is just not in the right place right now. I think about having sex with you. When I think about having sex, I think about you. Like I find, you know, all these little things you can kind of do to reassure somebody intimate kissing, like French kissing, you know, like again, we can go all this time without having a deep kiss because we're worried it's going to lead to something we're not up for, or it's, We just don't do it unless we're engaged in sexual activity. It can be such a great way to share, you know, 20 seconds of a really intimate kiss can be kind of amazing and really get the two of you back into something that is deep and feel good and you both feel Wanted, and then you can go back to whatever it is that you're doing, or uh-huh. go further. You know, it sort of depends. Um, but sometimes you have to just do it, right? You have to like be like, I'm gonna go French kiss this first. Do we still call it French kissing? But whatever. And oh, like, like, I'm gonna go know. passionately kiss my lover. Uh huh. And then go back, and 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 as opposed to like having it just be something that like naturally occurs when they walk in the door or something, because that might not just be your what happens in your life. Sorry. Ooh, right. right. I like to tell you there.
0: Well, and it's, and it's really interesting that you mention that because, the, because, you know, I, I've, I've had this conversation with many, mostly with women, I have not really had this conversation with men about the um, <clears throat> sexual versus non-sexual touch. And mm-hmm. I think one of the things, you know, that if, that if you're only, if the only time you touch your partner is in a sexual fashion there, it sets them up to don't touch me, which then creates this other problem as opposed to, I mean, I love this idea of going and giving somebody a passionate kiss and then walking away. Like, I'm not expecting mm-hmm. anything else because it's like, that's going to leave them with like, whoa, what was that? <laughs> Wait a minute, get back here, right? You know, but but it's, it's, it's that idea that it isn't just necessarily restricted to a particular moment a partic- you know, that it doesn't, that it's not always an expectation of it leading to something else that it can sort of stand on its own. So is that, is that kind of what I'm getting, what taking from what you said? Absolutely. Yeah.
1: And then it should become more of our, um, that, that intimate, but not necessarily leading to sex touch. Mm-hmm. If it was more of our day to day with our partners, I think we, you know, we think you feel, I think you feel more fulfilled, like, Mm-hmm. Hugging, you know, I think hugging has this idea of being so platonic or whatever, but I make it a point to hug my partner for a good couple seconds every day just to have that heart-to-heart connection, you know, like mm-hmm. just to have that moment of acknowledgement of, you know, our connection. And I think that these little things can really help, especially when things might be a little bit off in other departments of the, of the romance or the intimacy.
0: Got it. So this is Happily Ever After is just the beginning on webtalkradio.net. I'm Leslie Dorries, and I'm talking sex and intimacy with Sarah Dysack, the owner of the sex shop Early to Bed. And if you and your partner struggle with a sexless marriage or libido differences, there's a solution. So if you're ready to reignite the passion, I invite you to schedule a free, no-obligation, five-star relationship call with me. You can reach me by phone at area code 919-924-0463, again that's 919-924-0463, or you can send me an email at Leslie, L-E-S-L-I, at foundationscoachingnc.com, that's F-O-U-N-D-A-T-I-O-N-S, Coaching and is in Nancy C is in com and now I want to get back to this conversation about sex and intimacy so Sarah one of the big things is Libido differences. I mean, you know, I mean and this is one of those things mm-hmm. where no two people are going to be in alignment on anything, but this one seems to create Real challenges for people so if, if you know, and, and and it's not always the woman who has the lower libido. Sometimes it's the man who has the lower libido. So how, how can couples negotiate this?
1: Well, I mean, I think it starts with being honest and having a conversation, right? Again, like you're going back to like, <laughs> if you're just turning someone down over and over again, they're going to stop. Asking, and it's going to take you know their self esteem can take a sure, a real hit. Um, so I think sort of establishing what the difference is, and in, in in ways that you can communicate about it.
0: Mm-hmm. And then
1: I think the but so let's say that you know someone has less of a libido. I think and, and it's you know a lot of times in our lives, especially those of us who were assigned female at birth, you know hormones and mm. all these things, especially as we age, can really impact this idea you know, the air libido and this idea that we're going to like abstractly be interested in sex. Like, Oh, I'm, I'm physically turned on and ready to go. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes people across the gender spectrum, particularly those of us you know, who are assigned female birth, will need to kind of get sex started in order to have our body kick in. Yep. So being intentional about sex can sometimes solve this problem. So, so uh, conceptually, you know, if you're feeling like I want to have sex with this person, but my body's never telling me that's right, the right time, scheduling sex or find, making a determination like we're going to try to go for it, you know, like Saturday night or whatever, Thursday morning, whatever works for you, scheduleize, whatever works for you, whatever time is sexy for you, um, mm-hmm. and then make a point to start getting busy. Mm-hmm. Now, of course if you make this decision and you start to get busy and you feel like it's not working, that's totally fine. You're not obliged. Right. But I think that if you're not, if you're, if you're not thinking about sex or your sex, you don't ever feel like you are, wanted, are turned on, you're, it's never going to fix itself unless you make this intention. And you might find that the more you have sex, the more you feel like you want to have sex. A lot of people feel like it kind of starts to feed into it. The more you, uh, you know, have sex and you're like, oh, wait, this is easy. Right, I like this. I forgot about that. It became this huge mountain because I wasn't into it and my partner was that. you know, all these different things. And then you do it and you're like, oh, great, that's great. Let's try that again sometime. Um, So I am a big fan of scheduling sex, making an event of it, Um, but also I think, you know, being open to the fact that if you are mismatched or something's mismatched right now with your partner libido-wise to, again, talk about it, but, like, let your partner then explore, you know, don't make masturbation something that's shameful or something that's, you know, not okay in your life. Let them do that. Sometimes a great way to explore a little sexuality with a partner without having a full buy-in is to help them pleasure themselves, right? Like right. lend a hand or whatever. And then you are still having this intimate connection and your partner is still having a sexual release. You may find once you are like helping them out that you're like, oh, well, okay, maybe I need a little finish over here. And, you know, then it becomes something more than it started out to be. Um, but I think you know, there's some things that we have to kind of let go of, like this is a private thing or that you mm-hmm. shouldn't be masturbating if you're in a relationship or, you know, all these things that sometimes we get these messages from other places um, okay. or that sex is always spontaneous. Like that's the most ridiculous one, I think, that we right.
0: have. And, and it's really interesting that you mention that because, you know, because, again, one of the things I hear and I'm sure you do all the time is that, you know, it's frequently, as you're saying, you know, um, Assign female at birth is that mm-hmm. you know, we have what's known as responsive desire, meaning I don't get, I don't want to have sex until I'm physically aroused. And this is very frustrating for maybe the high, I mean, it's, it's not necessarily that I don't have a libido. It just means it, it functions in a different way. And so there's a lot of, you know, well, my wife never initiates. And, Mm -hmm. you know, because it's like, well, because she's not thinking about it. You know, it it doesn't, it doesn't occur to her. I mean, I've had this conversation with my husband, you know, all the time. And it's like, you know, about how often he thinks about having sex and how often I think about having sex. And it's not that we don't enjoy having sex with each other. It's just like, I'm somebody who has responsive desire. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so, so. I understand that I own it and and you know and so there's this little leap of faith that we kind of take that you know I might initiate even if I'm not into it at the moment but then we get you know we get things going and and I'm right there you know I'm right there for along for the right and so I think that when you schedule it when you have a time to say We are setting aside this time to be together in this way, whatever that looks like. We don't have to have some kind of, you know, specificity other than we're going to be in the same place at the same time with this idea that we are going to connect physically and emotionally, whatever that looks like. I think that does kind of open the door to kind of solving who's initiating, quote unquote.
1: I I totally agree. And it becomes more, um, because we even, because more equal and people are, you know, you're both in, investing the same way. And I think that that can make things easier on everybody or both people, whatever, however many that be there. Are.
0: <laughs> right. And you know, I mean, and it's, and it's, you, it, and again, you were t- you said this earlier, and, and I hear this all the time. Um, it, in relation to a lot of things regarding relationships, but you know, but but sex is natural. It's like, well, yes, the the concept of how it works is pretty simple and <laughs> makes sense, but there's so many factors that come into play about this, you know, and and you talked about it becoming a priority, and so you know, I, I, I see that that's something that kind of falls by the wayside that other things, not that, you know, people say it's important, but, you know, if you're not making time for it, if you're not actually doing it, then you, then I sort of question, well, how important is it? And then how do you have a conversation with your partner about, you know, this is, and this is something I've, I've run into a lot with men where, um, you know, I don't know if it's the way in which they talk about it or whether it's just the circumstances under which both were raised, but you know, the, whim- the women are feeling like, well, all he wants is sex. He doesn't really care about me. He just wants this physical thing, which isn't true. But it's like how do you have a conversation about, yeah, I'd really like to set aside time twice a week to, you know, Allow for the possibility. How, how do people have that kind of conversation without it being thrown about, oh, you're just a sex maniac?
1: Well, I mean, and I, and I totally hear what you're saying. I think that we, and I'll answer that question in a second, but I also feel like if we think about how we're taught about, you know, men and women about mm-hmm. sex growing up. I mean, my, I remember my sister getting a lecture from my grandfather when she was way too young about, like, Men just want sex, you know. Like that is right. the narrative we have that is so damaging. Mm-hmm. I think to everybody, and it it is it takes a grip in lots of people. Like that's mm-hmm. how they view men, um, and I think that it's I think I think that's a, the root cause of a lot of our problems when it comes to communication and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But anyways, um, what was the question? Oh, how do you have those conversations? Yeah, i yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I mean, I think, I think having these conversations is always, it can always be a challenge. Um, I think having these conversations away, like, like away from like a recent sexual experience can be really helpful. Like don't have necessarily have a conversation right after someone's tried to initiate sex and it didn't work. Although maybe that's a good time. But I think like, Hey, you know, I've been thinking about our sex life and I, heard about this, or I've been thinking about this, like, you can always kind of make it a little bit more passive, like, oh, mm-hmm. I found this great idea, it's called talking to your partner, or, you know, something right. like that, that's um, scheduling sex, have you ever thought about that, or I would love to be more intimate with you, and I would love for us to figure out a way that we can work this out, here are my three ideas, or one idea, or whatever, mm-hmm. um, And this is hard for you to talk about. You know, whatever. Have a glass of wine if that helps. Or do it in the car when you're not looking at the person. You know, there's all these kinds of like, you know, of course, in an ideal world, you're all sitting at each other, being really (laughs) engaged and looking at each other. But do what you need to do to kind of make it as comfortable as possible. But also, I think that most people realize that once they bring up the conversation, the other partner is usually relieved, right? Like, oh oh, I can talk about this now, or thank God they brought it up. I've been wanting to bring it up, but I haven't been able to. And I think that that most people who you have a good relationship with are going to want to work these things out and might really have been waiting for someone else to start the conversation.
0: Well, and, and I love that you talk about somebody you have a good relationship with because a lot of times this goes on for so long that it damages the relationship and then it becomes this power struggle. And, you know, one of the things that I heard you say was that you're having this conversation not from a place of somebody's doing something wrong or, <laughs> but that, that, hey, this is, this is something that, that I think we could do together, you know, that, that would be good for us, our relationship, not just, you know, I'm the caveman and I'm going to drag you off, although you know, sometimes that's okay, too. <laughs> well, yeah, because,
1: as long as it's consensual.
0: Yeah, so, yes, as long as it's consensual. And you know, so, so, you know, because I know that people will come in to you, and sometimes it's easier to have a conversation with a complete stranger about this, especially somebody that I don't have to see every day, <laughs> versus having this conversation with my life partner about something that is, really a fundamental part of why most of us are in these relationships it's not we're in the relationships for sex but that is part of this deep intimate connected relationship that we all want and that this is one aspect of it it's not the be-all and end-all but it is an important part and to be able to have that conversation from a, from a place of love and respect. So what are the kind of ground rules that you think are necessary to have that kind of conversation? Oh, well, like with
1: most difficult or intimate conversations, I think I statements are very important. I think that not blaming that, you know, not you do this, you do that, but mm-hmm. I am feeling this, I am feeling that I think is really important. Um, and I think being open and not defensive for both people to not like be able to listen with an open heart and an open mind to your partner is also very important. Your partner, this kind of conversation could bring up something that is painful or hurtful or awkward or all those things. And you need to be okay with that and then work through that. I think if it's a real challenge, I think if, if, if you've tried just having a conversation with your partner and it hasn't really gone anywhere or you're just, I mean, I think having like a therapist or a counselor or somebody who's a third, a neutral third party can really be a, a, a big boon for some people or they're somebody who's helping to, to frame the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that in general, just like trying to do it with from a deep rooted place of love and openness and um, the ability to maybe see where you you know, to, to accept the fact that maybe you stumbled along the way and that you're willing to listen to your partner share that with you as well, I think is important. And hard, well, but important.
0: Well, and I, you know, and I, and I think that um, potentially and, and you, the, talking about what we learned, how we learned it, where we learned it, you know, because like you said, there's so much around this. I mean, you know, it's like, we're never supposed to talk about sex, but sex is what's used in advertising. It's like, so we have this really wacky kind of like, ah, (laughs) you know, it's like, it's in our face, but we're never supposed to talk about it. And we've, you know, we've never been taught to talk about it. So I think that you're trying to figure out maybe what is you know what have i learned what are you know what are my beliefs around it what am i bringing to the table cuz sometimes if i can start out a conversation going you know hey this is what's been going on in my head this is what i learned and and you kind of starting a conversation from that respect which again it's like oh i'm not going to be beaten up by my partner they're actually acknowledging you know, they're thinking about this or their experiences about this. And it's like, oh, and that that to me is a, is a, could be a helpful way because, because again, I mean, because again, when they go into talk with you or talk with me, they're they're usually, you know, mentioning their own stuff as well. It's not always about their partner. Um, And, you know, and they're usually coming at it from, you know, hey, Sarah, what would you suggest? I need some help with this.
1: Right, and none of this is in a vacuum. This isn't happening in a vacuum, right? We are, we're not coming at this with this only facet of our personality. There's a lot going on, and I think it's important, yeah, that we all recognize that before we have these conversations, too. But there's, there's layers to all of this. <laughs>
0: oh, yes, yes. They're, everything's layers. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for sharing all this wonderful information. Can you tell people about your shop, what you do, and where they can find you? Sure, thank you. First of all, been delighted to have
1: this conversation. Um, you can find our store, Early to Bed, online at earlythenumber2bed.com. We also have a storefront in Chicago on the Andersonville neighborhood at 5044 North Clark Street. Um, and our staff is all really enthusiastic about sex, sex toys, and sexuality and happy to help people uh, figure out what is the best thing for their needs. Um, so we are happy to help people in the store and also via yeah, our website. Uh, online um, via email or on the phone. So check us out. We also have a really cute Instagram. The handle is early to bed, early to
0: number Two too. Bed. So. Great. So go check that out because you know, intimacy is one of the reasons couples get married, but it won't automatically continue. And there, we, as you've heard about today, there are a lot of things that can get in the way. And the longer they're allowed to interfere, the less satisfactory your relationship is going to be overall. So how much time and distance need to occur before you take action? I know it can be scary, but most of the time, now some things can be resolved with time, which is great if if this is one of them, but if things aren't resolving with time, I'm going to ask you that maybe you want to do something different. And hopefully one of the things that you'll keep doing is listening to this show. And until next week, stay loving.